he was like totally different than everything else I ever knew or anyone that I met before. He seemed to be very upbeat and very polite. He used to take a lot of uh, attentions and be very nice to me. I was living a beautiful teenage life where I was, you know, happy and out of the sudden flip, everything changed and then you have this huge belly and your body changes and you have all these changes of hormones. No, I wasn't scared because I didn't know what was coming. I never stopped building my life. Even when she was little, I am constantly learning something new, constantly. Remember when you were 17 and the world was full of possibilities? You're on the cusp of adulthood and it seems like your future is around every corner. You're beginning to experience the freedom of being on your own, of learning who you are and who you can be. You can probably see where we're going with this. Because even if this isn't a podcast about pregnancy, these are stories of gestation. Stories of becoming something new and different and beautiful, sometimes from the most painful and unexpected of circumstances. I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. And we are glad to share Gloria's story with you today. It's a story of betrayal, of mixed messages, of lost translations, and of fighting on, of moving forward and building up. Here's Gloria. I was born in Mexico City, which is a very huge city. I'm the second oldest. We are three girls and two boys. My dad found a job here when I was 17. Well, not, not in New York, but in South Carolina. Gloria's dad moved to the U.S. first to test it out and see if he liked it. Her mom stayed in Mexico with Gloria and her other kids for about a year before the rest of the family joined him. But when her mother and brothers moved, Gloria stayed behind. I was 17. Okay, my life before this was great. I was going to the art, the, the Institute of Arts or, or Beautiful Arts. I was taking painting lessons and I was, had a, a large circle of friends where I felt very comfortable. And I didn't want, I didn't want to come. I didn't ask to come. <laughs> I didn't move with my parents because I had met this guy. We dated for eight months, something like that. And he, his name is Juan. And um, yeah, he was like totally different than everything else I ever, you know, knew or anyone that I met before. And he seemed to be very upbeat and very polite and very, you know, um, he used to take a lot of uh, attentions and be very nice to me. Um, and so when my parents decide, like uh, maybe a couple of months before my mother decided that she wanted to come with my dad, um, he asked for my hand in marriage. And so in Mexico and the Hispanic cultures, and I don't know, maybe in many places of the world, the man comes to the house and asks for your hand in marriage, almost like a permission, you know, before he can even propose. But my dad wasn't there. It was just my mom. She agreed. I, she asked me how I felt about it, and I was so sure. Yeah. In Gloria's family, getting married young was not unusual. Her sister was already married at age 19. Her own mother had married at 16, her grandmother at 15, and her great-grandmother at 14. But Gloria suspects that her mom gave her permission for another reason as well. I seriously think that I scared my parents. I had become a lot more pleasant than I used to be. And so I guess my mom was 
um, happy to be involved and, you know, help me to come. I, I had settled a little bit more and I was, you know, going to school and I was, you know, so maybe she thought, oh, maybe this is something that is good for her. Good for her or not. Gloria and Juan moved forward with their plans. Juan found, like, told me that somebody offered him a job in Cancun, which is where he was from. And he told me, I'm going to check this job out in Cancun and, and I'll be back in a week or so. Um, and then after that, we can get married and make all the preparations and we probably will move to Cancun or just stay here. We'll decide. I say, yes, of course, I was 17. I say yes to everything. So during this period of time, of course, it happened what happened. We had sex. And so we, he left and we spoke on the phone every day. He will call me every day for like two weeks. And during that time, I also, like I was suspicious. I think it was a little longer than two weeks. I was suspicious, you know, that my period wasn't coming and I was just feeling really weird and I felt really sick like maybe having the flu or something like that and I I wasn't sure so I took the initiative that to go to one of the labs in Mexico you can go um, or you could go back then I don't know if it's still like that but you just could go to a business it's in the street and they take your blood and your urine and they confirm yes you're pregnant or not and yes I was and so I told him next time I spoke with him and he acted very excited. He was like, oh, it's great. We're going to be great. And I'm so excited. But then he never called again. Like that was the last time I talked to him. But I was so sure he was coming back. Like I knew he was coming back. So I called him several times. Well, I called him for like for a month, you know, and, and his mom will tell me like, I don't know where he is. He hasn't called. And I will call him every day and every day. And no, I don't know. And so now I got really embarrassed to continue to call. I just didn't call anymore. Stop calling. Even with the radio silence, Gloria didn't give up hope that Juan would come back or call back or be there soon. But in the meantime, she had to figure out what to do. She stayed with her sister, who was 19, married, and pregnant as well, which made things tough because they were both hormonal. Gloria slept on the couch in the living room. And with Juan AWOL and her parents in the United States, she had nowhere else to go. I like try to find somewhere to go. It was hard to stay there. Yeah, I called his home um, back then. We didn't have cell phones, so I will call him to his parents' house. It took me six months to say, "Okay, he's not coming." I don't know when exactly I knew. I guess when my belly started showing. Um, and that time I got a job in uh, in a sub shop. It's almost like Subway, but it was Mexican style, I guess. The owner of the restaurant, it was a couple, a really cool couple. But she, the lady pulled me once and said, like, Gloria, I can tell your belly is growing. Are you okay? And are you going to be okay doing this job? Because it was long hours. I had to be there early in the morning, to, and it was really long hours. Um, and I was... I was, yes, but then they let me go a couple of weeks later. Um, and so I started thinking, what am I going to do? I can't live with my sister forever. You know, things started to get a little bit more complicated with her. And so I told my parents, I mean, I knew I couldn't raise a child by myself there. 
So Gloria started making plans to pack up and move to the U.S., where she knew she would have a home. Though, it isn't as though she hadn't thought about other options, and even seen those options up close. During this period, though, I had a couple of friends that, sisters, and one of them had a child and was divorced, and she was 21, I guess, 22. The other one was younger, and she had had an abortion. And they will, I will spend a lot of time with them. And the one that had a child will tell me, you need to like not have this baby. It's going to change your life forever. And you need not to, you know, don't risk it. And the other one that had the abortion will say, no, think about it really hard. And she told me, I, I have nightmares every night. Abortion was not something Gloria seriously considered. She had been raised to believe that we were spirits before we came to earth. And although at the time she wasn't actively religious, she always knew that she was carrying someone else's spirit in her body. But then there was also the Catholic school education she got. Ironically, I went to middle school to a Catholic church, um, middle school, all female. And the nun that um, taught us like health back then, she showed us a video and pictures of, you know, fetus cut in pieces. And oh she told us, yes, it was really intense. And we were so young. And she thought us of a, I'm not even sure how she got that technology, but of a baby, a video of a baby when the doctor is trying. This is kind of strong, you guys, okay? But when the doctor was trying to, with the knife that they use or whatever they use, a hook, and the baby tried to grab the hook when he cut his hand. And it just stuck in my mind. It just, it just did it for me. And I said, no. This is my baby. I I was old enough to take the responsibility to get engaged and be with this guy. I have to be responsible. You know? In addition to being pregnant, Gloria was essentially homeless, jobless, and abandoned by her fiancé. But there was something else that was possibly even more unbearable than the situation she was in that had made her move to the U.S. more urgent and necessary. When I started thinking about moving with my parents, something that did it more is the gossiping. People just, your life is done. You know, if you're in Mexico and you're a teenage woman, 17 years old, pregnant, like, it's done. There's not opportunities for you. And people will assume that because you have a child and you, anybody can get with you and you lose your sense of respect and your sense of value. So, yes, that was another thing that I said, I can stay here. I just can't, I just can't take people looking at me and people that know me and, well, their condescending looks. I just can't, I just can't deal with that. So when she was six months pregnant, Gloria arrived in South Carolina to move in with her parents and brothers. I don't know if it was because I was pregnant, I was heartbroken, or it was, everything was so foreign. Everything was so different. Everything, you know... Everything tasted sweet. Meat tasted sweet. I, I think I was depressed the whole pregnancy. I didn't know I was depressed, but now I, I look back and I used to cry a lot. I used to cry all the time. And on top of that, she didn't know the language. And my dad translated, and I thought he spoke really well English. But then the more I learned, I realized that he, some of the things could have been missed. Her parents took her to see their bishop, their local clergy member, whose thick southern accent made misunderstandings and mistranslations even more likely. But he did ask uh, if I wanted to keep the baby, and I said yes. And then they said, it's, 
are you considering, you know, adoption? He was trying to explain to me, you know, the process. And my parents immediately jump in and say, if she doesn't want the baby, then we all take care of it. Like, we, we want the baby. So they were really supportive. Her parents gave her a place to live. They let her know her child would have a home. And they made sure that, medically speaking, she was taken care of. Gloria hadn't been to see a doctor when she was in Mexico simply because she didn't know she should. She was, as she says, naive and ignorant and only 17 years old. But although her physical needs were being met, Gloria still felt pretty alone and pretty clueless. My parents were so supportive in a sense that they wanted to, they wanted to like make sure I was doing good, but I was never asked like emotionally, where are you? Are you ready? You know, you know what's happening. I didn't know. I mean, I had an idea what was going to happen, but I never had like your classes where they teach you to breathe and what's really happening in your body or. Oh man. So when you like, were you afraid? Did you like, as you got closer, cause you had the sense of what was going to happen? Like did that, I don't know. Or was, were you just like a, you know. I was still living in a dream. I was still, my head was still foggy. I was, I was, I don't think I had a grasp and understood what was happening at all with anything. Like I was living a beautiful teenage life where I was, you know, happy and out of the sudden flip, everything changed, you know, and, and then you have this huge belly and your body changes and you have all these changes of hormones and no, I wasn't scared. Because I didn't know what was coming. <laughs> I don't know. I did read a book that somebody got me in Spanish of what to expect when you're expecting. So I had a basic knowledge. But again, it's all technicalities, you know, like you read it, but you really don't know what's going to happen. So I wasn't. And with, because I wasn't a Catholic school, we never had like the video of the woman having a baby. Like you have them on the physical or the ed class here so just those scary abortion videos like yeah <laughs> it got to me oh wow yeah apparently that's uh-huh. all they show in catholic school the knowledge from her spanish copy of what to expect when you're expecting and some conversations with her mom about what her own childbirth experiences were like were gloria's preparation for labor and childbirth she didn't know a lot but she did know a few things she wanted to avoid pain medication, and she wanted her brother at her side. Well, I guess part of the book where I knew that if I chose an epidural, I wasn't going to be able to help the baby. And so I I just didn't want to have an epidural. So, yes, the labor started started late because all of my kids started late. I have four, all of them natural and all of them late. Um, and so... I guess it started, I was admitted on the hospital. I wanted my oldest brother, not my oldest, well, it's oldest boy in the family, but it's younger than me. I wanted him to be there because he really wanted to be there. He was a teenager. And of course, I wanted him just in my side. But the lady that was translating for us, because I didn't speak English yet, um, she didn't even, she decided that she didn't want to translate that. And she said, no, 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 he doesn't need to be. This is a female thing. He doesn't need to be here. So she chose for me. And later on when I, later on when I, you know, got mature and understood better, I got really mad at her, you know, like, how dare you take that choice for me, you know? But even without her brother at her side, the labor and the misunderstandings continued. 
And so the nurse told me, oh, you, they check on me and see how many centimeters I was. And I was like three. And my contractions were coming hard. And she told me, you're not going to be, you're not going to have a baby until tomorrow morning. And this was maybe like four. And so she didn't put any, she put me to sleep. She gave me a, a medication through, um, oh man, I forgot the name of it. How do you call it, guys? Help me out. The uh, ultravein, like the... Um, oh, an IV? The IV. Yeah, thank you. The IV. She put the uh, medication in the IV. Mm-hmm. Again, all of this information got lost in confusion because I really didn't understand what was happening. And my mom didn't speak English much neither. So we both said yes to everything. Yeah, it's like, yeah, sure. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. But what happened is right after, like, an hour after that, I started having contractions really strongly and I started, you know, in labor. And so I would have like a huge contraction and wake up and, and to have it and then go back to sleep. And it was the worst thing I ever experienced because you're like, wake up and push and then go back to sleep and you have no control. It was horrible. And she was born, like she was born sometime around six or six something i can remember right now so only like two hours after the yeah oh, yeah. My goodness. oh wow <laughs> yeah so that was fast <laughs> that was fast but that was very uncomfortable gloria's first glimpse of her baby was not exactly love at first sight it was really strange i remember seeing her and i thought it's my grandmother you know her face looked like my grandma so much and i thought what is this you know i i didn't connect right away like I didn't have that instant moment where you're like, "Oh, my baby," and you want to hold them. It took me it took me a day or so to have that connection, um, and I didn't feed her right away because I was falling asleep. So they let me go to sleep. So I guess when when I started breastfeeding her, I got that connection. I felt like it's you're here, and I was scared, was crazy. Like I, yeah. But I was really determined. I was really determined that I thought you're mine, you know, and we're going to be okay. We don't need anyone. We don't need him. We don't need anyone. We are going to be fine. This is going to be okay. I wasn't scared, but I also was very naive. You know, after, after she was born, I thought, oh, I got this. And I thought I knew everything I had to know. And obviously I didn't, you know, and... So it has been a very interesting um, dynamic with her. It's been different than with the other three that I have. Um, it's, it's just a different connection. It's a different relationship. Very dependent of each other. Now I understand that I could have done things differently and help us better. I wish I had some a little bit more of guidance, you know, of to explain to me what was happening, you know, and to ask me, how you doing? You know, like, are you sad? And yes, you're depressed. You're not crazy. Or, you know, it's, this is happening. And I don't know. I wish I had that. Yeah. That available. And I think that if I was in a better place emotionally, I could have helped her better and have, I think she had a pretty good childhood. I tried, you know, but I'm sure I messed it up somewhere. Gloria did try, and she did her best to take responsibility for herself and for her daughter. I understood that I always knew that I didn't want a free ride. You know, I understood my responsibilities, and I don't know that I understood them 
to the deep degree that I understand them now, but I knew I wanted it to provide for her. I am very stubborn, and I just didn't want anybody to take over. And like I, I, I remember thinking, and this sounds horrible, and please don't take it wrong, but I remember thinking, you messed it up, you deal with it. You know, you have a child, you deal with it. So there's no room for boohoo, boohoo. I, I'm not a, I'm not a crier or a quitter or a. So I, I started working when she was six months old, and my aunt that didn't work or anything, she started babysitting, watching her. Um, and I remember it was like a low-paid job because I couldn't finish my high school because I got pregnant and girls pregnant in Mexico don't go to school. And then when I moved here. It was um, in South Carolina, I guess, they give you until 19 years old or 18 years old. But I, it took me a year to learn English, a decent amount of English where I could go to school. So I started working in this job in a factory, which was just like labor, you know. The same factory where my dad worked, but I was just in the um, production line. And I remember going to the locker room the first, like, weeks when I started working even a month and just sit there and cry because I miss her so much and I like oh what is, what is happening to her or is she okay or so I just I will I just will sit there and cry yeah Gloria kept at it however and before too long began making friends with her co-workers soon she started dating one of them Daniel and within a couple of years they were married she was 21 and he was 20 in addition to Gloria's daughter, they have three children together. And although she has moved forward with her life, there is no denying that the experience of what happened when she was 17 changed the course of her life immensely and continues to come up nearly two decades later. That experience got me into my knees for the first time. What I say, I know there's Heavenly Father, you know, Heavenly Father, I know you're there and I'm sorry I haven't come talk to you, but I need you. I can't do this by myself. I, I really, really need you. And so that's something that I did um, did communicate with him a lot. And I think that gave me the strength and, and peace. So later on, I understood, thank goodness this guy left and he never came back because then I wouldn't have a family that I have now. When you're a teenager, it's all about you and what you want and discovering yourself and... um. I wasn't making very smart choices, you know, marrying at 17 with a guy that is older, with the style of guy that he ha- he is, is very, it's not very smart. And like I said, I don't know where I would be if I would have been pregnant. I'm not recommending this to anybody. I'm not saying go do this, it'll save you. Because now, like I say, this is different for everyone. But for me, it worked. It grounded me. I think um, I've always considered myself to be a couple of years more mature than what my peers are around. You know, I was a tomboy. I hated like drama in school and I was just like not into that. And, but at the same time, I, I heard a lot of people around that and the process of, you know, being tough. Um, and it grounded me and it centered me and it made me more charitable, charitable, you know? Um, yeah. It, she just helped me to understand that choices have consequences and that you have to you have to be okay with those consequences.
Do you remember when your daughter turned 17? Like, did you, I don't, did that make you just think about like how young she was and how young you were? Yes. And I secretly, I secretly was thinking, you know, don't make a mistake and I'm pregnant. And I will never, you know, like people always say, I love the baby. I, it was a horrible mistake, and, but I love the child. I don't think it was, I don't think she was a mistake at all. I think she was a blessing. I think she was there to save me from myself. And, but I did when she turned 17. Actually, no, when she turned 18, I was like, she passed a year. <laughs> and yes, to this day, I see her and I'm, I have a hard time letting her go, you know, and at the same time with having a hard time letting her go, I guess I push her farther because it's a natural process. They need to find themselves and they need to make choices. But, um, yes, she was so, she's still so young. She's still, you know, it's a little baby. And now, of course, we're all wondering, whatever happened to Juan? After he ghosted Gloria, did he ever make a reappearance? Well, Gloria did find out, eventually. Just a couple of years ago, actually. But that story actually starts further back, about a decade ago, when Gloria's daughter, Tansy, was about eight years old. Up until that point, Tansy had assumed that Daniel was her father. She was only about a year old when Daniel started coming around to date Gloria, and Gloria didn't want to confuse her when she was still so young. But as Tansy grew up, Gloria knew things had to change. I start seeing my nephews and nieces growing as well. Um, and these are on Daniel's side of the, fam- side of the family. Um, you know, they were older. So they knew that Tansy wasn't his daughter. So I knew I needed to talk, talk to her before anybody else would come. I also knew that the teenage years were coming and I have some understanding that drama is going to happen regardless. And I wanted to avoid this to be some extra drama for her, you know, an excuse to look for something to to be hurt. I didn't want her to be hurt. So I remember praying for like several weeks, trying to find the right words to talk to her so that she would have the understanding. And I will say what she needed it to hear to understand without being afraid um, or confused. And so I remember telling her, you know, a little bit about the story with her biological dad and not, I didn't go into details, but just that, that he didn't want to get married with me. And so that he didn't want me, I said nothing about her. He didn't want me, but so, um, Tansy and I moved to United States, you know, I moved here and then she was born here. Um, and so when she knew that she got really excited, (laughs) it was so confusing she was like, do you mean that my, my papi, because that's what we, that's what they call them. Do you mean that my papi adopted me? I'm like, yes. Oh, wow. That's great. And I was so confused, you know, like, okay, she took it pretty well. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that, um, one of Jacob's uh, classmates, his mom is a family psychologist and we were talking about it. And I asked her about that and she's like, yes, it's, it's, yeah, it makes sense. And I said, why? And she said, because she had seen the relationship between your husband and the, the other kids, and she had sensed that connection between them, and it's something that she was lacking. And when you explained to her that she was adopted, 
she understood that nothing wrong was happening or that she was strange or sensing something that it was only on her head. But it took me until she was 16 to figure that out. For years after that initial talk when Tansy was eight, that was where things stood. She knew Daniel was not her biological father. She knew her biological father was in Mexico. But again, when Tansy was around 14 years old, Gloria could sense the need to give her daughter more information. So I asked her, what if I told you that I knew a way to get in contact with him? Is that something that you're interested in? And um, she's like, yeah, of course. I want to I wanna know. And I asked her why. And she's like, I want to know what happened. You know, what, what happened? Why did he never come back? I want, I want to know who I look like. And what other, I, I'm interested to know, like, if I have anything in common with him and his family genetically, you know, like, do I have any aunts or cousins? Or I want to know if I have more siblings. And, and Facebook, you know, Facebook does everything for you. I, <laughs> I had a friend. I have a friend that her sister, yeah, I have a friend, these two sisters, um, that had him and has a friend too. And they're the type of people that are not very good with security. You know, like sometimes you can see privacy and you can see their friends. Or they're the type of people that have everything open. And so I could see his name there and a picture of him when he was like still a teenager, I guess. So it was easy to recognize. Gloria talked with Daniel to make sure it was okay with him if she reached out to Juan. He agreed, and Gloria took it from there. So what I did is I sent him, I sent Juan a message saying, Hey, this is Gloria. I don't know if you remember me or not. Um, I have a daughter. I want you to know that we're doing wonderfully, that we don't need anything. I didn't want him to think that I was reaching out because I needed money or something or, you know, child support or anything, no. Um, and she's growing. She's a beautiful young lady, and she would like to know um, to get in contact with you. And I want to, I want to ask you first if that's something that you will like. And I did that because I didn't want her to reach out to him and then be rejected. I didn't want her to go through that. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect, expect. So, yeah. So after that, I told Tansy. Okay, you see that picture on Facebook and that name? That's him. You can go ahead and reach out. <laughs> so did he respond to that first message you sent? He did. He, he was like, oh, my gosh, of course, sure. And I'm so glad. Like, he told me that he had seen me and went through this friend, my picture. I knew that I was, you know, there. But he never wanted it to reach out to me because he didn't want to interfere with my happy life that it looked like I had a very good family and he didn't want to interfere. And I sure, yeah, whatever. Well, Tansy and, and Juan did message for a while, and I did get a little afraid uh, because I knew the lifestyle that he takes. You know, he still rides his Harley motorcycle or some type of motorcycle like that. And, you know, I, I know that he's not a good influence. So I started to get a little nervous, especially when she was like 16, 17. Um, but I think when you stink, everybody can smell you. And so she, find, you know, she did see that, yeah, he stinks, you know. So I didn't have to do any labor of saying, oh, he's a bad guy or, you know, or don't talk to him. He did it himself. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> so what, what did he say had happened to him that he never called back? So I didn't ask him at first because I didn't want to 
make him, I don't want to make him feel that he needed it to tell me or anything. And I did let Tansy talk to him for a while, but one day I got curious and I said, you know what, just out of curiosity, I think I need to know what happened. And so he told me that he was riding a taxi, which is really strange because he has his, he had his own car. He was riding a taxi and the taxi driver had some type of drugs in the trunk and he got pulled and he got thrown to jail and that's why he never got back. Ever. Sorry. Hang on. So he said the day after you told him that you were pregnant with his child. Most likely. <laughs> he was in a taxi that was pulled over by the police with drugs in the car and he was thrown into jail. Yes. That's, that's his story. That's his story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very poor showing on the story front. You know what? I for for I don't know. For some reason, I I wish he had say I was a coward. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was scared. I much rather take that that this drug dealer, you know, jail story, mm-hmm. because yeah. that goes to show me that he's still a coward. You know, he's still yeah. That's the thing. If he had said, I'm sorry, Gloria, I'm, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Then you could say, well, you know, we've all matured. We've all moved on. But he's still kind of the same guy who yeah. just disappeared yeah. on you. And, but in the other hand, though, um, I'm better off with knowing that he's still a coward, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm better off really understanding who he is and not, you know, like, okay. I see who you are. You know, you stay there with your thing in life. That's good. Stay there. I think for the longest time after being heartbroken, I had like a huge deception. I don't know if that's the right word, but not that I was so in love. I was in love. I was about to marry this guy, but I really thought he was different. You know, I really thought he was different. It was such a... I don't know, such a deception. I was like, I can't believe you did that. That's not who you, I, that's not who you pretended to be. Um, and so for the longest time, I was heartbroken. And then for after that, I moved on a stage to be mad at him, you know, angry. I was really angry. And then after that, I moved to a stage where I wanted to kind of, not never to revenge, but to make him feel like you're not important, like whatever, I don't need you. And finally, I got to the stage where I don't have bad feelings for him. You know, I have nothing. Like, no, no, like, I hope life is good to him. And, you know. And despite a difficult introduction to adulthood and real life, Gloria has done her best to make the most of it. She never felt like her life was on hold or that there was anything she couldn't do because she became a mother so young. I never stopped building my life. I'm always, you know, like even when she was little, I am constantly learning something new. Constantly. I self thought my I self thought is that how you say it? To play piano, you know, and guitar and if I find something interesting I go and pursue it. You know, I did a fitness and nutrition, I do whatever I think that it's interesting there. And I know that all of these things that you learned build you your character you don't go to school and then out of the sudden you can't be in all this wise person and knowing and having all these talents you know you build little by little so i've always knew that 
I have always known that I'm going to do something. How do I say this so that it doesn't come across like? Just say it. <laughs> I, I always know there is something great that I'm going to do. Like I'm going to write a book about that. I'm going to write a book also about my grandma that um, was in Spain during the civil war and she was in a concentration camp and she had a great, amazing story. I love learning. And I've said this many times before, but to me, learning, it's like getting ice cream. You know, you just enjoy it. Comes naturally, even doing homework. It's like, yay, homework. So I will continue my education. I don't think I'm going to stop with the bachelor's. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me at all. So, where do I see myself when I'm 15? If I could live, you know, has a dirt back with an education, not getting to know places in the world and running, I'll be happy. You know, I'll I'll do that. But I don't know. I think that's difficult to to say. I think. Things happen and your, your mind, your perspective changes too. So I've always wanted it to, something that I know that I will do it eventually will write a book and write about this because I feel like there's some, uh, so much, um, misunderstanding of what girls through that age go, you know, and it's so easy to put a little labor to say, oh, this, I'm, I don't know if this is a good word or not, but like she's such a slut or, you know, so easy. And and I even once heard a, a comment from somebody that didn't know my my story. But um, somebody mentioned, and I can't remember what, it was one of those book clubs, you know, where everybody gets super wise. And she's like, oh, I even think that these girls just um, get pregnant so that they can get paid, you know, by government. And I was like, really? Is that what you think? <laughs> You think it's really easy? You're not just, oh, I need some money. Let me get pregnant. I think everybody's situation is different, and I respect everybody's choices. But I think they, I don't know, people need to know that I was a child, 17, and you're still a little kid. I mean, a little kid, but you're still really stupid. And you're still trying to figure out who you are, and and you have the world to yourself, and you're going to travel the world and accomplish, you know, great things. and. I know it's 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 scary and it's difficult and you know I I don't know I think girls out there need help they need support I wish somebody had spoken with me you know and I'm sure there's some type of organizations that does does that now but yeah and I wish that has a mother of a child like this I was explained a little bit that I was making choices because of my own fears. And rather than because what was the best. For now, Gloria is pursuing a dream she's had since she was a kid. She's studying social structural anthropology at Cornell University, where she works. She says learning, homework, all of it. It's as good as ice cream to her. She loves it. She also runs ultramarathon trail races and looks good doing it. Actually, I met Gloria earlier this year when we ran the Cape Cod Ragnar Relay together. Nothing like 36 hours in a van with someone for sharing stories, right? I haven't been able to get her story out of my head since then, and I'm so grateful she was willing to share it with all of us. Thanks, Gloria. I am truly inspired by your determination and your unwillingness to make excuses. Never stop building is my new mantra. Should be all of our mantras. She's a dynamo. Thanks to Gloria for sharing her amazing story. And of course, to the rest of our team who make this podcast possible. Thanks to our editor, Ryan Barnhart. And thank you to the McDonald's he stole Wi-Fi from so we could make our deadline. 
Thanks to Ellen Barnhart and Ben Howell for the music. And thanks to Micah, who has all of NSYNC's Japanese bootlegs. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to join us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or whatever social media platform is hip with the kids. And don't forget to tune in in two weeks to hear Misty tell all about the trials and triumphs and well-earned gray hair that came with her experiences adopting her three little ones. 